Welcome back, everybody, to LARPs and TARPs. I hope you've had a wonderful, uh, wonderful break and you've not been too patient waiting for us to return. I am your host, Morgan, and I am joined by uh, your other host, Tom. Hello, and I'm sure they've been dreading our return. It's been the best <laughs> two months since we've been yeah, gone. They refreshed their feed this morning and they saw our logo come up and like, oh, fuck. They're <laughs> not, back. Not again. Uh, and this week we are talking about, uh, well, we talk about the recent LARP we went to, the Feast Your Eyes event, uh, and Now My Watch Begins that we were uh, attending. Now does it begin? Week. Sorry? Does it begin now? Correct. Oh, immediately. Right. Uh, well, no, mine's, well, that's just spoilers, actually. Uh, but yeah, uh, we uh, are lucky enough to be talking to uh, two of the writers uh, from, uh, from that game. So we are joined this week by um, Pascal. Would you like to uh, give yourself an introduction? I'll say hello uh, to the yeah, lovely I'm, listeners. Uh, I'm Pascal. I'm an award-winning LARP producer. <laughs> Uh, and uh, gotta drop that in every time. Uh, and uh, in the real world, I'm a video game producer as well. Oh, so I'm all about oh, all cool. about production. Awesome, perfect. And uh, Sean as well. Hi, I'm Sean. Uh, I am brand new to the writing team at uh, Feast Your Eyes. Uh, and outside of LARP, I'm a dentist slash voice actor. Ooh. Oh, nice. Oh, cool. Well, thank you very much for coming in, guys. Um, I mean, first at the top, obviously, we had a fantastic weekend. Absolutely phenomenal. Uh, so, yeah, thank you very much for all the prov- fun you provided. My yeah, first question, glad, how, glad did you get the, how did you get the weather so perfect for it? What do you mean? It there was, was no ice, there was it no was so snow. Warm. It was It was double digits in temperature. It, I, spent, oh, I spent three weeks, right? Going to Brighton every day in minus six degrees, thinking like, great, this is going to be perfect. And then the week of the event, it gets up to like 12 degrees. What the hell is this? Like everyone's got all their cold weather gear ready. layers because they're just sweating. There's one event cold where laughers have adequate cold weather gear, right? And then it's, it's, it's warm <laughs> as hell. Yeah. It was terrible. I spent so much time, but I bought like I think I bought like nearly twenty meters of wool, mm. <laughs> like naked stuff. And then we got to the event. And I was like, "Wow, okay, it is hot. I can't wear the fancy cloak that I spent spent ages making." I just suffered. Fair play it. to a lot of the yeah. a lot of the players. They did keep on their their furs and cloaks, yeah. and I was like, "Fair play to you. You must be dripping underneath there." But uh, yeah, I think yeah, they, no. they felt good. Yeah, I was I was toppling towards exhaustion. <laughs> I was like, this needs to get off. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely awesome. Um, all, all for the aesthetic, right? Yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely, yeah, right? I, I gotta all say, like on that that Saturday morning, coming into the fort when uh, doing like the training montage. Oh, everyone kitted yeah. up in their in their black kit, just looked oh, absolutely it looked, sublime. It looked as we imagined yeah. it. Yeah, exactly, um, and more. Mm. I'm so glad. I was so glad it did because it, it definitely felt amazing, like for us. And I think I know the difference. I guess between like when you're running a game and playing a game, I guess um, it's easy to be immersed when you're playing it. But I'm glad you, as a runners, came in. You like this looks as you as we wanted because yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think the players knocked it out of what, the park. What really surprised me was how many variations LARP has come up with with just a black kit. No mm. one matched, and it seemed fantastic. There was no just strict uniform. Yeah. Everyone had its own personality, looked worn in, just completely fantastic. Yeah, there were, there were some brief bits in the in the kit guide about like the cut of your kit might have like regional variations depending or like 
variations depending on the status of your character. Like if your kit mm-hmm. was like funded from back home instead of being, you know, whatever was left over in the stores. And we we really lucky we had such a dedicated player base that actually mm-hmm. some of them really leaned into it very hard. Um, and yeah, uh, in, in particular, like just to pluck some examples, um, uh, Bethany, who was playing uh, Kyra, like her kit was off the rails. Oh, it, um, it really looked like yeah. a veteran uh, sort of steward healer that she has been, you know, at the wall for yeah. 10, 15 years. She's made her, she's made sure her kit looks like she has been wearing it for like, you know, 10, 15 years, yeah. mm. which her character has been kind of thing. It's yeah. really she funny. should be comfortable, whereas yeah. some of the others uh, who have just been dragged off a boat, uh, <laughs> you know, their their kit looked uh, a little bit more ragged, like it had been like, you know, taken from the bottom of the stores and just handed it mm. to the the conscript. Yeah, um, you know, some of them have definitely like been rolling around in mud and gravel to get that weathered, you know, uh, crap looking. You've just been handed this now. Mm. You know, look at it. And then you've got some of the nobles uh, who have volunteered who are in uh, absolutely immaculate uh, kit that looks like it's straight off the rack kind of thing. Uh, You know, daddy's bought them uh, something so they'll look good. Um, Mm. Silas Winch. uh, uh, Winch. He came in and someone said, oh, have you been here? Are you one of the veterans? And he was like, no, daddy bought me this. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, we, got, we got a good uh, video from one of the players as well. Um, uh, Isaac, who played Jaron Pike. Uh, and he's like, oh, just out taking my dog for a walk. And he just had his cloak like on a rope behind him as he was yeah. walking <laughs> around the roads outside of Eversley. Just yeah, getting that weathering oh. set in. Excellent, that's so good. I think it might be good to give a bit of context, I guess, to what the wider story was um, for the game. Mm. So um, I can't remember the precise year, but the the basic premise of the game um, was we were all, for some reason or another, as we've hinted, either volunteered or conscripted uh, onto the wall uh, and to join the Night's Watch. And the game took place very shortly after Robert's Rebellion had just finished, if I'm Correct. correct. Was it like... Was it like a matter of weeks, matter of months? How close do you, did the, you set it, do you think? The exact time scale is at uh, the start of the game. It is a few weeks since um, Tywin took King's Landing. Uh, sure. okay. And um, Robert sat at the throne. Um, so the a few of the players were conscripts who Tywin uh, sent to the wall. So that's the same, um, the same kind of wave of con- conscription as uh, Alizar Thorn, because he he was also on. And we were we were toying with the idea of having him as an NPC on Friday night, um, as a, another kind of disgruntled uh, noble conscript who who was given the choice. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, but in the end, we didn't want any any named from the book, hmm. uh, just to make it our story rather than all of the uh, players sort of focusing in on that NPC. Yeah. Um, I quite liked how that all worked out, and I think that it kind of shows you a little bit like, again, the people we see in the show are like a handful of people. There's other stuff going on. There's other rangings. Um, and also, obviously, LARPers can do whatever they want, and if someone killed Alice of Thorn, 
<laughs> the canon. Yeah. No. What, what, what does that mean for the wider story? Um, which would be really cool. I mean, what what it'd be what kind of inspired you to pick? I suppose the universe of a song of ice and fire, and also uh, this particular period, because obviously you've got all of Westeros's history. Um, like, what was the kind of inspiration between? I think the Night's Watch specifically started at that picnic table in Eversley uh, during a, a crew. We were just sort of chilling out, and we were talking about a Night's Watch LARP and how yeah. cool that would be. It, it because was... we all had, uh, especially we, us from Highgard, we had a lot of black kit already, mm. and then we were just sort of thinking, oh, yeah, that'd be cool. You know, it's, it's it writes itself. Um, yeah. And, it, uh, it was James's idea originally, but he wanted to run a yeah. very different game. Like he kind of pitched it, and then the months went by, uh, and uh, James and, and myself, and then Sean as well to some degree, although less since you know you've had a kid. Um, mm-hmm. We play the a Song of Ice and Fire miniatures game, um, oh, yeah. so we're kind of continually exposed to the setting through that, uh, and just being like, oh, these characters are really cool, like ah. Oh, um and yeah just just playing I specifically the game. play night's watch because they're the best yeah yeah they just got a big <laughs> they do have the drift very happy yeah yeah um and sean's sean's like painted night's watch minis are fucking inspirational they're absolutely great um oh, and we actually you. took a lot of inspiration for the kit brief from the mm. miniatures and from the artwork around oh the miniatures nice game. Okay. yeah there's some really good artwork in the miniatures game yeah that it did the kit brief almost for us mm. uh a lot well, of the um, the example kits are kind of our best efforts at recreating the artwork from the cards. Sure. I mean, I think it, it came across fantastically. I mean, when the... First of all, when we saw, I know we both like this. When we saw the name of the game that was coming out, we were both super excited. The trailer did help a lot. You oh, did a great no. job with the Thank trailer. You. That trailer was an absolute fever dream pitch that came up within 24 hours. I was on my honeymoon with my wife uh, and baby at the time. And then I was getting messages from James because it was during the right, uh, the writer's strike. Um, so my wife works in film, James works in film and um, obviously they're not working. Um, and they were like, Hey, why don't we just do a trailer for this? Um, and I asked my wife if she'd edit it, because uh, she's a film editor. And she was like, yeah, that sounds that sounds really fun. And then James sort of wrote a, a quick um, sort of sketch of what to do. Um, my wife looked at it and said, uh, you're never going to be able to do this in an afternoon. And she was right. Um, but uh, we got the shots that we needed. He thought we'd be done in two hours. It took more like six. Um, but uh, absolute credit to everyone on that film crew. Um, we uh, we worked really hard. Um, shout out to um, Nat and Nick uh, doing the camera operating. Um for coming in there, and then all of the crew, uh, there's too many of them to like shout out individually, but they know who they are, um, who volunteered their time to just act as sort of wildlings and Night's Watch um, for it. Uh, and it's um, a shout out to my wife, Laura, uh, mm-hmm. for editing uh, everything together and making it actually sound yeah. decent. The, the mad thing is, like, we went from concept to 
released production trailer. Probably like six days. Yeah. Oh, that's insane. It would it would have been quicker if I wasn't in Mexico at the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We we got back from Mexico. I think we had a day off, and then we went to Eversley, shot it all, and um, and then Laura edited it in about two days, um, and I did the voiceover for it. It's true dedication to the hobby. It it yeah. looked absolutely fantastic. And again, if well, we went... I think as well it. The, if the hype wasn't big for that game before that trailer came out... Yeah, I was just going to say that. The yeah. hype afterwards mm. was insane. I don't think I've ever seen we, a game yeah. get hyped from a little how too quickly, suddenly. Like, sorry, how quickly did the tickets sell out in the end? Because I know it was very three quick. Minutes. Three minutes, yeah. Yeah, which is the um, same as Flying Lead, yeah. basically. We, um, so we deliberately announced it on the Tuesday before Empire, uh, the fourth Empire event. Thursday night, uh, I was just bombarded um, with questions. Uh, I also announced in that same week the project that I've been working on at work, um, which is very exciting. It's Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2. Ooh. Uh, so, which I'd guessed two years ago, yeah, but he uh, yeah. refused to. Uh, <laughs> I yes fobbed him off. Um, fobbed, yeah, he's like, no, no, I'm definitely not working on that. And uh, yeah, so I just spent the whole like Thursday evening just being absolutely uh drowned in in questions it was great i loved it um mm. but from minute one like from the first like facebook post we made about it we could see that we're not the only massive nerds super excited to bring the night's watch to life um because it was yeah. always going to be difficult for to sell a january larp yeah. like yeah. no one especially an outside january larp no one mm. wants to run around in the cold um well apparently not too absolute. cold well, yeah, I know. But uh, so we we never expected a, a sellout like that. I think we expected to sell a lot of tickets. Yeah. Uh, and it would be over a, a period of a, like, it wouldn't go all at once. It would be like a few over days. You know, you'd yeah. have that initial rush and then you'd get the dribs and drabs over the next sort of two months. Um, the fact that it sold out so quickly and not just sold out, we had our waiting list was enough to do another game. Wow! Um, yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, I'm. I'm not shocked, honestly. Like even, I think yeah. that even on the crew side, like we had like 175 percent sign up for crew. Um, yeah. So if you're listening to this and you're mad that you didn't get to crew, don't worry. A lot of people didn't either. Um, yeah. We had like people messaging us on the day being like if there's any dropouts uh then we can come along and, and like help out um which is we did like, have a few yeah. dropouts over the course uh but they just got slotted in uh mm. with the the waiting list immediately yeah. like there was a net zero dropout of that game we had 100 percent crew and 100 percent we, uh, yeah players. no one dropped out on the day as well and that's the first that's time good. i can remember like no players no crew dropped out on the day itself yeah um, we had um, I know that when we were doing the ticket sales me and Tom had, were both set our laptops and then I had opened in a separate tab a pre-written email to Feast Your Eyes asking to go on the waitlist <laughs> so the second that I did get a ticket I could slam to get on the waitlist to be fair we do that with every game yeah yeah um, it's it's you know part of I love Feast Your Eyes uh, or any any game being run by Kitty uh, and, and Johnny yeah um, like the the 
they're hitting that point where it's kind of suffering from yeah. suffering from success almost. You know, it's they've, too. They've been in the game uh, so long now and proved time after time that they can put on an incredible weekend. Yeah. That uh, it's it's not surprising really. Yeah. But as as we as we say here at Laps and Tarps, don't bother going. It's, it's terrible. terrible. It's awful. We will suffer through <laughs> it. So you don't have it. to. We go to review it for everyone else. So do not bother. Very um, good. But yeah. Uh, I just want to spin back onto the point about the chronology of the game as well. So the fact that we chose to set it in 284 uh, AC. Um, so the 284th year after Aegon's conquest, when uh, at that point when Robert Baratheon uh, usurps the Targaryen throne and, and takes the Seven Kingdoms for himself. Um, it, because it's, a, it's like a defined event that anyone familiar with the setting is familiar with, right? Like, you can't mm. watch Game of Thrones or read the Song of Ice and Fire books without understanding what went down there. Um, it also gave us a great divide, like a great point of conflict to give mm. the players. Because nothing generates, like, good role-playing, like, immediately, like, oh, hey, I'm this guy. I fought on the side of, like... The, the Targaryen king, and I would die for Prince Rhaegar, and then someone else being like, well, the Targaryens hanged my family because we stole a loaf of bread. And it's like, okay, great. Now you hate each other. Have fun. Um, so that was, that was one of the big uh, like divides. It also meant that because there was like a recent war, um, we'd set up characters, and like this is one of the things about writing it as well. So we wrote all of these, all of these characters. I don't think that's been mentioned yet, but we pre-wrote all of these characters. Um, and that was, that was a lot of work in and of itself, but I think it really paid off um, because yeah. it meant that I was gonna... then we could have these setups where people had fought on different sides of the same battle and now they find themselves leagues beyond the wall having to, you know, rely on each other to survive um and that's that's something that like we did witness kind of come into into fruition a few times but um and we've heard stories coming out of it uh which have been yeah. really so many really stories great. that we didn't even know about yeah. was going on um which we'll probably never find out all of those little stories that have mm. happened but you know those larpers uh who it happened to i think has you know It'll really sort of sit with them for a while. Um, I think, I think if it, I, I did really enjoy. It. I think you know Tom was saying you wanted to ask a little bit more about why you wrote the characters and stuff. But I think something I did really enjoy was uh, seeing the little connections between um, you know my character and other people that were put in there. Um, and I did really enjoy it as kind of like a jumping off point because I've played in one other game with previous characters before, and it was the same thing. It's really nice to know who you should be interacting with. Um, and again, as someone who's vaguely familiar with the setting, <clears throat> but also like I, I know a fair amount. I think I know I know more than your average person, um, but um, there is still stuff I didn't know, and I quite enjoyed just being my character. We'll go into this more detail, and I'll kind of like when we go over the event. Um, but my character was just a small folk who was kind of like vaguely aware of like the lords of the north and kind of who was king, but beyond that, wasn't as bothered by everything mm -hmm. it was quite fun to kind of like see all these people and like had a big thing of like yeah cool you're you're all lords now <clears throat> we're all the same at this point at this point in the wall and it was quite fun to kind of have that relationship before we before we delve any deeper uh i do just want to raise that 
There is a chance that we'll run this same game again with the same set of characters. So in case anyone listening is like, you know, spoiler conscious uh, and and is intending to maybe play if we do run it again, that's a big if at the moment as well. Big if, yeah. We haven't haven't set anything in stone. Um, but if we do run it again, it will be at the same time point and with probably about 80% the same set of characters, uh, if not all of them. Yeah, there'll probably be a little bit of, you know, wiggle room with characters, mm. but yeah. I w- I will the lion's say, work is uh, it's been done already. Yeah, I will say I've again I've played one other game um, with pre-written characters before called Three Kingdoms, and they've done that three times. I think they're looking to do a fourth run with the same characters every time. And the way they do it is that every single character sheet is public, so mm. you can look at everyone's character sheet. Um, and I think if you, I think if you go into the game kind of with that fit frame of mind and be like aware of what you know and what you don't know. It allows you to tell really fun stories anyway. Like, I know some people want to be a bit spoiler conscious and don't know what's going on, but I do really enjoy that aspect of, like, let's say I know a character and I know what their motivations are and how they act and how that provides an opportunity for me to be like, oh, well, I know what kind of story we can play off and kind of what interactions we'll do. And it's also fun to see what other people bring to a character. So I brought my character in with he'd been wronged by someone. And you could you could say after the years since he's mellowed and he's less angry about the whole situation, but I was like, no, he'd be even more intense. And I think it'd be really cool to see where different people fall on like a rerun and how those characters mm. come out in different ways would be really interesting. Yeah, that's that's one of the big big incentives for running again is seeing what you know other what would other people do in in Silas Winch's shoes, like, uh, <laughs> and we we ended each of the 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 character briefings with a series of prompts um that mm. can be answered like however you want um and like some people filled them in on the google doc and sent them through some people um just uh like went through and answered them like in their own heads there's no obligation to do it like any of that at all but it was just um then a way for us to say like okay and now this character is yours and use these points to define like who they are as a person um, from like this grim and horrible history that we, we've written you. Yeah, yeah. we well, tried to write them in a, a way that is a, a sort of a history of what they are rather than we weren't telling them how they feel. Yeah. Um, it was, these events have happened to you, now you run with it. How is this going to make you sad, angry, um, you know, indifferent? Uh, that's up to you as the... Uh, as the actor, uh, the LARPA, to role-play out over the weekend. Yeah. Were there any particularly big challenges to writing so many pre-made characters? And do you um, think it was worth it with the final product to do such a thing? It was definitely worth yes. it. Yes, uh, 100%. 100%. Um, it, when did we actually start writing? Was it October? Um... Yeah, it must have been because I think it was after I got it was back after we'd... from Mexico. Yeah, yeah, it was after the trailer. So I'd written some example yeah. characters to be like, "This is what you could expect," and then it was, um, "If you have a ticket, submit this form." And we waited for most of them to be submitted before starting. Yeah, that was right. So I think we started around mid to late October. We sent out the last one. Well, not the so we sent out the last of the first like the original sign up batch um, 
maybe two weeks into December. Mm-hmm. We we ended up writing about fourteen, fifteen each. I think Kitty wrote a few more. Um, yeah, Kitty, Kitty wrote like, our characters. Yeah, some spares. We had um, some people drop out and had a very specific character that we didn't want to like give to someone else, kind of out of the sure. blue. Um, also, sometimes you'd you'd wake up and you'd see that three characters had been written and Kitty had been up at 4 a.m. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just <laughs> writing. And she's like, oh, sorry, guys. Uh, I just got, I got an idea. <laughs> and yeah. so, there, was, okay. there was so many times of like, <clears throat> where I'd sit down and be like, right, I've got this idea in my head. I know exactly who this person is. I'm just going to bash it out. 30 minutes. We're done. And then suddenly it's half past two in the morning. I've got 18 wiki pages open and I'm desperately <laughs> trying to find out who this guy's uncle was um, yeah. at the time. Yeah, the, it's, it's, the nobles, yeah. I think, took me the longest because mm. the nobles I had to make sure made sense in the history. Yeah. Uh, because uh, like I, I wrote uh, Balin Glover um, character and it was very like intricate how it fitted in because his uh, brother or nephew was at the Tower of uh, Joy um, and it had to all sort of make sense Sure, uh, that mm. uh, in the sort of the chronology. Otherwise, it would just ruin immersion. You'd be like, yeah. oh, no, that's, that's not what's in the books. Yeah, um, sure. Whereas the small folk um, and the middle class uh, characters, uh, you could be a lot more... You can make up a lot more stuff. Um, So as long as you know the general uh, sort of what's going on in that region, you can create whatever you want. And some of those were actually some of my favorite to write um, Mm. because you could, uh, you had a lot more creative freedom. Yeah, you, Actually, you, you no, that's a lie. I like, I loved all, I love writing all of mine, the nobles included. You still have all all the solid setting that they're in. Like, you Mm. know the world that they're in, but yeah, you don't have the, the same kind of you don't have to go th- the amount of uh, family trees I oh, yeah. scoured um, it got silly uh, at one point I was like oh, do I really like I know so much about the Clegane um, <laughs> story more than I knew even after like reading the books and watching the, the shows like I know that family now very very intricately yeah if you want a history of the iron islands from 370 to 384 <laughs> ac i'm i'm your guy you're right yeah it's gonna be a pub <laughs> i don't quiz, even uh, like quiz the question but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you did an absolutely fantastic job everyone's characters were so rich and i think everyone brought them to life spectacular yeah, yeah. A, a, i hated winch so much like we we couldn't say like we couldn't celebrate these characters so much without the people that did bring them to life and embody them so well. And it was, we all had like multiple moments over the weekend where we look at someone like role-playing when we're just reffing or whatever. And we're just like, okay, that is like the character I've written, like brought to life. Like they are, they've leapt off the page and they're punching a then in the face and it's, it's (laughs) perfect. And yeah, um, <clears throat> it was like really, Tom, really who was great. playing Bryce Bryce Grafton, mm. um, he was one of the first ones that I wrote. He was, yeah, and it was a very different character to one that Tom normally plays, and he just knocked it out of the park. 
uh, he was Bryce Grafton. Like, uh, I couldn't have uh, asked for anyone else. Which, again, would be interesting if we ran it again to see mm. what someone, uh, mm. how someone would take that, uh, that character. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the same questionnaire that you did would be it would be interesting because your job then stops being how do I write a character for this person and more who would fit this yeah. this person's requirements best. Um, again, I'd be really interested to see how it all played out differently. Um, I'd also be interested to see the whole situation with a different um, story. So same characters, but a completely different situation. Mm. I'm sure someone's already floated the idea of, uh, and now my watch begins, Nightmare. I think that would be uh, absolutely incredible. That's, um, yeah, that's something we've been discussing since we, since we started writing this game. Um, yeah, I'm not surprised, because that would be phenomenal. That, that <laughs> was kind of James's original concept for this game. Yeah, okay. Um, I'd be really interested to see the... Uh, forms everyone filled in as well how many people gave you a lot to work with and how many people just gave you the bare bones minimum just i would say the majority gave nothing not not um, nothing I, 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 not, not but very little yeah. like maybe just like i want to be a northerner and that's it that was i ju- i think i just said northern small folk who yeah, yeah. accidentally did something there were a and few like, who gave uh quite details of what they wanted um and sometimes we were able to recreate that in our own style. Other times we had to be like, that just doesn't work sure, for yeah. the game that we're writing. So we're just going to yeah. scrap that and write something better. Some, <laughs> I think some people put through multiple um, concepts as well. But what usually ended up happening there was we'd kind of like amalgate them into what, like take aspects from mm-hmm. all of them. Um, yeah, and, and another thing I, I liked as well was writing for people who I've role-played with a lot um, because then you know, like, what beats you can hit that are familiar and comfortable yeah. to them, but then also you know kind of where their normal comfort zone ends and you can push yeah. outside of that and, and just put them into something, like a character they would not normally play, which is, yeah. Which like Kitty making you an angry northerner and giving me a boat. Yeah, literally... It was so funny because my Hoist the Colors character is a northerner with a fiery temper. Mm. And when I opened my character sheet, the top the top descriptions were fiery temper, proud northerner. I was like, she's just she's just put my Hoist the Colors character in the setting of A Song of Ice and Fire. And it was fantastic. It was great. <laughs> nice. Uh, ended up being less angry than my Hoist character. Um, but it, uh, it was it was still, yeah, it was really good. And then again, you you were given a boat. A dodgy smuggler of a boat, just perfect <laughs> for me. Uh, it was fantastic. I, sorry, go on. Uh, I was going to say, it wasn't just us playing the characters, you guys playing NPCs. Did you write a big backstory for your own personal characters, having to herd us? Uh, I, I made up the backstory of the Master of Arms as the weekend went. Yeah. Uh, I was not planning on uh, doing the Master of Arms. I think we decided that on the Saturday morning. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, it was like five minutes to time yeah. in. I was like, oh, uh, and, Sean, yeah, you, you can do it. Yeah. yeah, you got a black gamby. Yeah, go. <laughs> you know the part. You did an absolutely fantastic job. Mm. Thank you. We we um, had yeah yeah we had maybe a dozen like directed yeah, we, NPCs. We had our crew had, NPCs. Yeah, they had yeah. a few paragraphs of background. Um, I want to give a big shout out to. Dave and Matt, who played the clan elders for the um, 
the Marsh Keepers the and the Out Clan, respectively, because they had very little briefing. Um, some of the some of the plot decisions we made about the Marsh Keepers, Dave found out like on the fly, um, which was interesting. But he he dealt with it really well, um, and we knew that it would be in safe hands with him. He's done some amazing like crew roles over the years. Uh, same with Matt Lane mm-hmm. as well. He's he's just a really brilliant role player, oh, fantastic improv uh, yeah, guy as well. Uh, when you've got crew like that who you can give these kind of uh, big sort of talky roles to mm. uh, where there's going to be a lot of improv because we can't be by their shoulder every step of the way. Um, it's really good to know that you can just give them that role, trust what they'll do with it. Yeah. Um, even if it's like, uh, you know, they will improv it and then they'll come back to you and say how it went and stuff. But uh, it put a lot of the weight off our shoulders of like that worry that um, knowing that, our characters are in safe hands. Mm. So I've I've never played with. I think you say Dan was the leader of the Marsh Keepers. Dave, Dave, not Dave. Yeah, Dave. Uh, never played with him before. But one of uh, uh, a really good moment for me was when we were having lunch, and he was sat in the back of where we were not lunch dinner. He was sat in the back of where we were eating, singing "The Last of the Giants," mm. um, and that was like a really cool immersive moment for me because it was just like in world song. Sung by a wildling. Um, and also, just as they went past, I was just like, wildling, have you ever seen a giant? And then it was like fun to have a conversation around that. Nice. And then Matt Kalein, Matt Kalein, if you listen to our Flying Lead, most recent Flying Lead series, he played vampire in that, like mm. the elder vampire. Yes, I'm very aware of that because I was the one who killed him. Oh, yes, of oh, course. Yes. Oh, brilliant. Oh, you... But yeah, he was... I betrayed the players. <laughs> he was uh, uh, one of my highlights of the whole weekend. because uh, I, I had yeah. loads of role play with him when he was in the... Uh, when he was being the barkeeper. Uh, He's got a real gravitas to him. When he speaks, people shush. Mm. Yeah, 100%. But yeah, no, I, I agree. It was fantastic. All the crew did uh, really good jobs. Um, did you guys have like a favorite NPC you played? Because I know um, I accidentally called Pascal a Septon at one point. Uh, <laughs> which you were not you were it was, was dark was I a, had... yeah I think I was a ranger at that point um, yeah and I was like yeah. oh I'm sorry I don't know what's going on <laughs> you very much like the Septon yeah. uh, who swore us in it was very um, funny yeah every I played like three characters over the weekend there was the Septon that I was all, all of Friday night Saturday morning um, that was good I really enjoyed leading like the oath right because i knew that would be like Mm. a big moment and that felt really powerful when we had the whole like uh intake of of conscripts reciting the oath um before before the septon you know before the in the light of the seven in the sight of gods and men um and that was that was very very cool the character himself was mostly like just waffling stuff and trying to relate absolutely everything to the seven who are one uh, in one way or another. Um, but I, th- I think my worldling elder was the uh, a favorite in leading, especially in, in leading and guiding the stealth mission and then desperately convincing the, the crows <laughs> to not knock on the door and disturb the wasp nest of thens that were inside, um, lest we all be swept away in the tide of, tide of iron. 
Uh, that mission went fantastically well. Nothing went wrong. No, absolutely nothing. Ignore the fact that at one point someone stood up and just yelled, run! <laughs> oh, at that, at that point I legged it all the way back to the fort. There was no going back yeah. for me. Yeah, oh, that, that turned out to be a real like highlight uh, as well because you know, heading back and we're halfway back and they're like, wait, they've got one of us. Like, we, not all of us made it back out. I'm like, no, no, we we must have, we must have. And then realizing that Egan, poor Egan, hadn't hadn't made it out. Um, and they're like, no, we've got to get him back. Got to get him back. Um, and trying to convince them to not get us all killed with death by then at <laughs> half past eleven at night. And yeah, imagine, just really, really good. Um, and we got lucky there with the weather as well because the moonlight was really bright. So even though it was, oh, it was, dead yeah, it night, really was. We could still see like fairly well, and yeah, yeah. yeah no. It but was, at one uh, point on the first step up the up the hill, I was crouched in a bush with with uh, NPC crew like patrolling like a foot and a half away from me, in front of me, going right past, and I get a call from James, who's at the top of the hill on the radio, saying, how's everything going down there? I'm like, shut up, shut up, shut up. I can't talk right now. Um, I'm busy. Hilarious. Uh, um, You kind of spoke earlier as well, you had the advantage of um, being in a kind of pre-made world. Um, But you've also kind of spoke, I'd be interested to hear what, like, how that helped and how that was a challenge. I don't know if you've written games in like uh, your own setting before, but what was the kind of like challenge of, I know, you, yeah, the challenge of kind of writing in a preset world. You've kind of talked about, um, you know, looking at family trees and trying to work out who is where and uh, if it all makes sense. But if how would you compare that to like writing your own setting or writing characters for your mm. own setting? Um, I think, so sometimes the constraints were very frustrating. Sometimes the constraints mm. were very useful say, as well yeah i would say sometimes they could be very helpful because it gave us structure mm. um i think the the positives definitely outweighed the negatives sure. um but there were certain times in like the writers meetings where we'd be like oh why can't we do this and it's like oh because that hasn't happened yet or yeah uh, that doesn't make sense in the history um there's no reason that that person would be at the wall at that time and, yeah uh, yeah, Kit so, and I were definitely yeah. the the anachronism police, being like, "No, this doesn't happen for another like two years yet." And it's like, "Oh, does that really matter?" It's like, "Yes, like if we're doing yes. this, we we, yeah, we yeah. need to do it, right, do it right because there will because be a you player know someone who knows more than be, us." Yeah, yeah, exactly. You've always got to think that the players will know more than you mm. uh, about an a known setting. If it's mm. your own setting, then you can do what you want. Um, mm. You can make up stuff. And be like, yeah, it was always like this. You just didn't know that, and you've, this has only just been revealed. Whereas in a, especially in a setting like uh, Song of Ice and Fire, which uh, has the detail down to you know crazy amounts, uh, like I said, with the all the family trees and things, uh, you've got to be very careful to be as close to that setting as possible if you want that level of immersion. Mm. Uh, because we did make up quite a few uh, families. Like, yeah, yeah. like I mentioned the Cleganes before. Uh, the guy playing um, Irvig Clegane, that's a completely made-up character. Um, it's um, the mountain's uncle, basically. Because oh. there, 
there isn't actually much about... There's a lot about the mountain's grandfather, uh, who was just known as Clegane. Um, and uh, then there's nothing about his sons. Uh, and then the next thing you find out about is obviously the hound in the mountain. And uh, so I decided, because this car- uh, this player wanted to be a Clegane, and I remember discussing with everyone else, like, oh, you know, how are we gonna, how are we gonna make this real? And then I just basically deep dived into the the history of the Cleganes and found this gap uh, in the the family tree, and just wrote what should be in that gap. Um, and I just created this these uh, these two brothers, um, and uh, yeah. Yeah, so I guess, it's, again, it's like kind of finding those gaps within within the setting where you could put your own, exactly. own detail. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, it's good, interesting, so it was more beneficial. And I also know exactly the feeling you're talking about of uh, Pascal when you talk about, like, uh, oh, oh, I've got this really cool idea for a character concept that I want to do, and then because I do, like, world building for D&D. And they'll mm. be like, yeah, that is really cool, but it doesn't make any sense, and I'm really sorry, you can't do yeah. it. Because that, that's sick, you're right, that would be amazing, but you can't do it here. And then the, the next idea, oh, oh, what about this? Like, I hate to do it twice in a row, <laughs> but that also makes no sense in the setting. I'm really yeah. sorry. <laughs> um, so it's interesting to see you kind of had a, a, a similar thing. Um, was there any surprises from the characters as you went along? Like in the plot, was there anything you did where you're like, oh my God, how are we going to... No one killed re- off the plot. Yeah, how are we going to recover from this? Like, what do we do now? Or So, Kitty, James and I used to run with uh, Johnny and um, a few other writers through the years, a game called Buccaneers of the Dams, which was like the predecessor to Hoist. Mm-hmm. And Buccaneers was completely batshit insane it was off the wall it started out as a dark take on peter pan peter pan yeah uh, and then yeah. by the end of it there were so many like spiraling plot lines but we used to write up until like saturday afternoon evening play the rest of it by ear and write the sunday morning um on saturday night and we decided for this game we wanted to do roughly kind of take the same approach of like well we had Everything kind of set in stone up to a certain point, and then it depended on player action. Yeah, uh, we knew what the Marsh Keepers' uh, plans were. We knew what the Elk Clan uh, were having going, but we didn't know how the players were going to react to it. Mm. The players could either side with one or the other clans. Um, worst case scenario, the players could just, you know, salt the earth and burn everything down, which some of the players told me in character as my master of arms it's like why can't we just kill all of these wildlings yeah there's, there's a very real chance the players just exterminate all the plot NPCs, yeah. Yeah. Right? so why, why can't we just run them through with castle forge steel yeah like, yes yeah. <laughs> ah, that i also had that had to have that uh conversation with that person um <laughs> just came up all the time it's like all all the all i'm saying is we just run them through like dogs. Like, I don't understand why we're still here. What's the point? Yeah, I was t- yeah well, I mean, that was sort of what my Master of Arms was there to reinforce Stop. to those bloodthirsty players that, yes, there's only about five or six uh, here. villages here at the moment, but there's actually hundreds of them. Mm. Yeah. We're in Marshkeeper territory. Like, this isn't the... 
This is the main village. There's lots of little villages around here as well, and they will all converge if, you know, there's a delicate balance yeah. beyond the wall. When, Me and Morgan when were needed, to, uh, the free folk can be a, a real endless hordes. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. Me and Morgan were having a chat on the way down. It's like, what happens if all the players just decide to mutiny and become wildlings on the first day? <laughs> so, then Swap we don't kit. have to write the rest of the weekend. You could just, you know, <laughs> hang out. Run around. Just, yeah. <laughs> we'll just crack open the bar and uh, it's like, yeah, this is what you want. Easy, perfect. You'll be on the wall. Enjoy. Yeah. Uh I think yeah, I think Tom suggested we all just have a big timeout and swap kit so all the crew get all of our night's watch kit. Yeah. Get all the wildling kit that we then this uh, right crew, crew, you're all night's watch for the rest of the weekend. Uh it's time to run them through with uh Castle Forge Steel. Castle Let's Forge go. Steel. Yeah. <laughs> In other words, Castle Forge Steel, an awful lot. Uh, yeah. I think I know I think I know from, directly from one, who one particular for. character, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I know exactly who was responsible for Appro- that. Approaching uh, my Ice Walker clan elder with the... Uh, so how do you feel about Castle Forge Steel? <laughs> Sounds very useful. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so did the LARP live up to your hopes and dreams? Uh, is there anything you would change if you were to rerun it, as you said you're going to... Uh, potentially going to do? The thing about running like a new game, for me at least, is just the... There's a certain level of anxiety like going into it that's kind of inevitable, right? Mm. It's mm-hmm. always like, are we running a shit game? Like, have we done enough? But then the players get into it and it turns out we are really good at this, um, apparently. Uh, and <laughs> then, yeah, they have a great time. Um, I think throughout the weekend, there were definitely moments where we were worried. It's like, are, are people having a good time? Mm. Uh, is this fun? Are we doing the right thing? You know, and then we would be second guessing ourselves. Um, but and then we'd walk past uh, someone and they'd tap us on the shoulder and be like, "By the way, I'm having the best time I've ever had." Yeah, I had people. I had quite a few people sort of come up to me, especially in like sort of lull moments where they would just sort of uh, say, "Oh, Sean, Sean, this is absolutely amazing." And I'm like, <laughs> "Cool, good, glad, good, good." good. <laughs> I enjoy uh, it's. It's nice to get that feedback, especially I, during the game as well. Yeah. I enjoyed Puts the writers at ease. I enjoyed seeing a few people there who were, it was their first time in Eversley. So mm. I know that um, Oliver and Robin there, who do the Two Amateur Roll podcast, chat to them. It'd be their first time at Eversley. And I think it's really funny because I remember my first ever Eversley game. And it was uh, actually my first ever non Empire LARP. And I remember just like, because it's such a different type of game just being like, oh my God, like I've, I've just discovered this amazing hobby, had a fantastic time, and now there's a whole other side to it. And it's really funny seeing people, like seeing them and talking to them about like, this is so different, this is so cool, like I really enjoyed mm. it. Uh, and it's really nice seeing people have that kind of first Eversley moment, um, mm. yeah, which is really good, and I really enjoyed it. I think it worked um, especially well in, so the first half of the game, essentially, is about forming cliques, right? Mm-hmm. Finding your people, and uh so we started that off pretty strong but then that that kind of because like a lot of the regular eversley players we asked them not to like gravitate towards each other and really where like not to the detriment of their own like game but engage with people they don't normally role play with um because yeah try and try and find people whose characters relate with your character Mm. um yeah and you know, and that's one of the funniest uh, lines that uh, I heard over the weekend 
was this is the first LARP where I've been excited for someone to tell me about their character's backstory. Hmm. Uh, oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, we, we started that off with immediately separating out like the veterans and sworn swords and then like the northern conscripts and the southern conscripts. Um, and so from, from the get-go, from like 10 minutes to time in, being like, these are the people that you know. You, you, no one else here. And you've only known them for like the two weeks it's taken you to walk here. Um, yeah. Giving the veterans like time to form like tribes within the different orders and start like ramping up those rivalries. Um, and then, yeah, like the, the, the builder, the builder steward rivalry that kind of ran through the weekend. So it was really good dynamic. Yeah. And the Rangers just kind of being like the jocks uh, of, of the whole thing. Um, yeah. And there was, there was one moment in particular where, because of the whole thing of being, being a conscript that we wanted to capture was your plunge into this, environment where you know literally nobody your life is essentially forfeit and this is the like that's it right that's the rest of your life um yeah. and there are people there that you might not agree with that you need to like forge bonds with through through hardship mm-hmm. um and there was there's one example of that where uh maz told me about um who was playing Gwyner. Uh, so a retired soldier from from Bear Island who has spent her entire life like fighting away Ironborn raiders, uh, and then Silas Winch, who is like a, a pretty well-to-do Ironborn raider who spent his entire life raiding, um, and they were both conscripted at the same point, and immediately they started bickering. Immediately they had the animosity from like the start of their walk-in, um, and in the very last fight. Gwyneth was on the floor and the only person near her was Silas Winch. And she was just thinking like, okay, if, if he comes, if he comes over and saves me, I'll live. Otherwise I'm dying right here. And she just looked him in the eyes and you could see the decision on his face of being like, do I save her or do I get rid of this thorn in my side that I'll have to live with for the rest of my days in the night's watch. Um, and yeah, yeah, just, those kind of interactions that run like so deep from that kind of animosity was, was far exceeded our expectations. I think as, uh, as producers, as writers. Um, yeah. yeah I, I think like, yeah, in terms of expectations, so that's rambled on through several <laughs> different tangents, but, um, here we are. Uh, that's it's yeah. fine. It's all good. We love a good tangent. This podcast here. is 99% yeah. tangent. It's all right, absolutely great, fine. great. Um, no, but I yeah, absolutely that, that agree. That kind of thing just, yeah. just blew our expectations out of the water. Yeah. I really enjoyed... Um, it, I, yeah, I really enjoyed the whole thing. I really enjoyed... I had a, a backstory connection. Um, like, a, like not a... It wasn't one that was on my sheet. There was like a connection with another character in the game because mm. we had a shared enemy, basically, in our backstory. And realizing that was a really fun moment. Like having this moment where we're like, oh my, I think Sean, you were there. Yes, we, uh, it was uh, with Gigi's character. Yeah, oh, yes, 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 yes. That was, that was really fun that I was there to see that. Yeah. Uh, because like that's, that's one of those moments where um, there's probably loads of those going on that we just missed. Uh, yeah. But I just happened to be there when the connection um, was found. Uh, and it was just... It was just wonderful to see that uh, erupt in front of me. I was just walking past. I heard her say the guy's name. I just yeah, yeah. whipped my head around. I was like, what the hell oh, did what? you just say? Who? 
Uh, it was fantastic. Again, we'll talk about more when we do our rundown. But yeah, absolutely fantastic. Um, I think you're right. I think that you, I, you, there's only so much you can do. And again, all my experience with game running does come from TTRPGs. But I think there's only so much you can do as like a writer or a game runner, like to put the stuff in place. Um, but you've kind of, the players have got to carry some of that weight. And I think that's when you're doing something like this, right? There's a big pressure on that. It's like, let's hope they are able, let the players commit to it and uh, do it everything justice. And it's really good to hear that you think they did. And I certainly think they did. I think everyone kind of yeah. brought, brought their own interpretation. Of their characters really pulled it through. People knew their stuff. Uh, uh, and it worked out really well. I, I again had an absolutely amazing time. I uh, felt like a lot of the backstories came up naturally as well. There was yeah. no one forcing one down mm-hmm. each other's throat or dragging that from another person. They all just came up very naturally as the weekend progressed. Yeah, that's yeah. that's what we were kind of aiming for. Is is there any other uh, parts of the setting you're tempted to run a game in, or are you fairly committed to any other setting? Or any like any other parts of the setting? So like rather than just uh, you know you've done Night's Watch. Is there any anything else you think you'd be it would be fun to run a game in that you'd thought about or? Um, I'd love to. So the the parts of the setting that really interest me are the politics and the intrigue more than more than the fighting. Mm-hmm. Although I'd love, yeah. like that said, like I'd I'd play pretty much anything set in Westeros. Um, uh, there is a game in Poland. Which ran the week before we did, called Heirs of the yes. Dragon, around the Great Council of Harrenhal, and I was around a campfire at Eversley making plans for that with someone when tickets went live. Unfortunately, so oh. I missed out on that one. Mm. Oh no! But I'd, I'd love to go to a future run if they do do it again. Um, yeah, yeah uh, there's maybe some other things in the works, but I don't want to. I don't want to tease anything about that. Oh, um, sure. Because it's enough. a different different writing team. Um, oh, okay, nice. Yeah. But I'd, yeah, maybe something around like War in the Revelands or yeah, something like that. It's hard to do anything around the Dance of the Dragons or Egan's Conquest or anything because we don't have dragons. an eighty foot dragon on crew. Yeah, in Fred's yeah, pretty that's big, a shame. but he's he's not quite <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> Um, probably get a wormling like a, a brand new baby dragon <laughs> or like the ones towards the end but then what's the point I was hoping yeah. for a mammoth this weekend <laughs> maybe we, I mean we've got some ideas I that. mean you got a big bear oh yeah, yeah that is true it was a very big bear a um, very big bear I think um, it was seven, seven foot tall uh, yeah. in total. <laughs> maybe like I don't know maybe do like a battlefield like a uh, if we took like the German Polish battle warp concept, uh, and applied that. So where you you have kind of two camps of players. Um, it's more like a, it's more kind of gamey. But you have you do have a persistent character throughout the weekend, but um, uh, you kind of go back like you have like respawns, or you can get like revives and stuff. Um, but it's 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 just a big like pvp game gamey battle really rather than like a, a full-on like role-playing experience um i think i think something that's quite fun that i've done in other games as well <laughs> not a spitball a larp in the middle of this podcast but like i think something that would be uh, really interesting and fun to do is um having more time jumps and having a kind of like uh you know oh in the 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 months you know you've all met before war 
and there's months happen and then you would go and you see this is the aftermath and you discuss stuff that's happened then it would be really mm. fun as well like different ways when you're like how do we fizz rep this it's like well just don't we we the bits we deal with the small scale stuff and we talk about things that have happened in between well, quite yeah. when we discussed three time jumps in the writer's room was it three we did two yeah one no two yeah uh, there was a third one at some point, but we, we cut that Yeah, one. we were, we, uh, there was a lot of like, not backlash, but like, we were like, we can't do that. It's like, it's like, the players won't understand. It's like, <laughs> yeah. As long as you They're announce there's a time jump. Yeah. yeah. It was a kind of, like, it feels like it could be kind of a cheap, like, narrative device, but I think it worked really well for us. Um, yeah. It also meant yeah. like, there was, yeah, if we were going to do the wall, we wanted to do it properly. Yeah, um, sure. Build a seven foot, seven hundred foot tower box. <laughs> yeah, we love the palisade at uh, uh, the fort, but it's not a stand-in for like the wall, right? Um, yeah. But what, like one of the ideas we we're thinking was like, if we can get just like seventy foot of like garage tent and then like set dress it and <laughs> put like like dry ice uh, like through it all, um, and then we're like, that's that's a lot of work for what is a it a is. twenty second bit. You um, could you yeah. could do like um I reckon you could make it quite effective by doing like making it smaller as it goes to the top. But again, that's a lot of work. <laughs> Just have someone holding a photograph of the wall saying, Look in the distance, there it is. <laughs> yeah, it's conveniently just over the horizon. Uh, yeah. yeah. All times. Uh, as a dirty non book reader, I must ask, why no shields? Why no shields? <laughs> uh so no the shields. I mean, the aesthetic just... was the key reason, um, yeah. mm. because in A Song of Ice and Fire, the miniatures game, none of the Night's Watch models have shields, and they all look like total badasses, right? Yeah, sure. they're yeah. all like wielding these big double sword, uh, double-handed swords yeah. or spears, uh, or they've got the bows. Well, they've got like a um, sword and a knife, and they're like, yeah, yeah. and they're all really like re- really dynamic and. Seeing that, none of them are um, hiding behind a shield. Yeah, they I, are the shield. Exactly. I loved. Yeah. I will again. We'll talk about this more in the next episode. But I loved Sean, your character, clearly oh, having you. some shield-related trauma at some <laughs> point in his life was hysterical. Because every time it came up, you're like, "Stop talking about fucking shields." Your Monty so, Python reference is also astounding. Oh, <laughs> yes. so funny. But, so yeah, there's also a practical the, uh, reason, right? Because not a lot, like in the books, not a lot of them take shields beyond the wall and, and in the show as well like very few of the the sworn brothers have got shields beyond the wall because it's just not practical if you've got to carry something over like weeks and weeks of marching you're carrying that on your back that could be supplies that could be mm. shelter yeah, like that yeah. that could be so much more when there the is enemies you're fighting something... have got like wooden stone axes and like flint headed spears like yeah um yeah yeah there's there's something in uh i believe it's castle black called the shield the shield hall mm. yeah and it's full of uh noble houses shields so a noble would come to the wall this was like way before because it's not really in use anymore in the current timeline um but they would come to the wall with their shield and that shield would get hung up in the shield hall um and uh, it would be a sort of way of that person setting aside their family uh, and taking the black. Yeah. Um, because in the olden days, um, you know, noble houses would send off, uh, you know, their their kids to uh, serve on the wall as a yeah. you know, 
as an honourable thing position to do. Of honor, yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed, I do have to admit, you mentioned sword and knife, and that was basically my outlay for this weekend because I had the sword, and then I was like, well, I've got this free hand, and I have a knife. So even if I never use the knife, at least I have it if I need it. Yeah. And the benefit yeah, of Yeah, like, a lot of people went ambi this weekend. Yeah. Yeah, I've never done ambi. It's you know my what? first try. It looks it. sick as hell. Yeah, right? it does. Like, yeah. I think that like, was some of the best cinematic combat oh. even I've ever seen at, at Eversley because of that no shield. Yeah. yeah. You know, people no, aren't just, it's not just two shield walls clashing together and being all, oh, I don't want to, oh, I don't want to step yeah. forward. Whereas this, it was, there was a shield wall, but it was on the enemy. So it meant that the players had to just really like Big go game, in yeah. and uh, just get really involved in that combat. And just set it, seeing it from an outside perspective as the refs, it was just wonderful to watch. Yeah, um, there, there was a, a one point in, that stuck in my mind where there was four or five players with great swords just going absolutely oh, yeah. ham, like in unison oh. on the on the fans, and that was yeah. It and also that disparity, like like you don't have shields, the fans have shields, the fans are hard as nails. Like it helped. Yeah. Uh, reinforce that like these these guys are like tough to take down it's gonna be a lot of work to get through yeah. the fence I, um, I i really enjoyed again just again like you said a lot of people go in ambi and again my my knife came up surprisingly more frequently than i wanted because the minute you're in close quarters i'm just like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> stabbing yeah. with my knife which was really good fun and it was it was i think you made the point so we did almost like a little obituary thing on uh the discord of like everyone's like how their character died or what they did afterwards. Yeah. Oh, it's been great reading those. Um, yeah. And I, I love Sean. I think it was in your thing, Sean, when you were like, you looked around and no one had picked up a shield. Exactly. Yeah. Even like, in death, the Master at Arms was proud that these mm. green recruits who had wanted to hide behind their shields like their mama's skirts <laughs> had become true warriors. Oh. Uh, mm. You know, they were the shield. And the Master of Arms could die happy knowing that he'd done his job well. I think it was the stewards that were the shields more than anything at their oh, death God, no, they, Yeah, they were just like, <laughs> just throw the stewards in the way. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, can we take a minute to talk about the, the epilogues that people have written up? Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's, it's great. I've never seen anything like that on, on this kind mm. of scale for a one-shot game. Like, uh, kind of, where are they now? And the answer is dead a lot of the time. There was two <laughs> that were posted in quick succession. One of them was Max Kingdom, who was playing... Um, uh, uh, Lannister. Lannister. No, was he Lannister. He was the. He was Harwin, the like veteran. Oh, brother. Harwin Blackwood. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and his was like really emotive, and like that wasn't a character that I'd written, but um, mm -hmm. reading it through and reading all of like how he kind of processed, like because his his character was an alcoholic. Um, mm -hmm. And then re reading that through to to the end, that was really emotive. Like nearly, nearly kind of brought me to tears. And then I read Sean Langford, who played uh, yeah, Tibor Lannister was... of Lannisport, and I wrote his character. And I know like all the intricate details. So that's that's a character I'm, I'm super proud of. Um, and there's a lot of like queer trauma in there. Um, and there's a lot in a lot in that text the character's text that he didn't like bring out in game that he didn't like speak about to, to anyone. But reading through the epilogue, it was clear that that was all running through his character's mind the whole time. And yeah. 
like there's a name that just springs up a few times in in that epilogue and like the the way that he, he finished it off i was weeping i was i fully like breaking down in tears for like 20 minutes oh. uh, after reading that it was it was really like uh, uh i put up a thing on on the on the discord as well of being like ah oh, yeah i'm gonna write sean like this really it's really traumatic like queer story it's gonna be great ah oh, i'm gonna make you, him cry and then yeah, uh, uno reverse like, card. Hey, the uno reverse card exactly mm. yeah um so that was, that was great it's really fantastic to see the love that people have poured into these characters yeah i i was very happy in a macabre way to see how many players actually chose to die in this setting. It mm. really meant that felt realistic at the end. Not just everyone goes and survives and mm. goes back home to the water range again. There yeah, was a there lot was of 40, deaths there. 40% mortality rate, I think. Half of that was done uh, player on player. Yeah. We, oh. yeah. Oh, we'll talk about that. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, it was, they are fantastic. I, I, cause I wrote the first one and mine's like really short now in comparison to a bunch of other people's. Yeah. Um, so I'm tempted to go back and do it again. I probably should write one. You should. They're really I mean, good to read through as well. Bethany didn't even die. And I think she's on her third. Uh, oh, Beth just keeps churning it. I think ch- ch- she's like fully turned into this is now my fan fiction. Yeah. Um, no, this Beth, is my hobby. <laughs> like, Beth Kyra got, Byrne is, Beth this is got, the life, life and times of Kyra Byrne. Yeah, she's got a song of ice and fire brain rot. Like it's just yeah. stuck very firmly in there. Also, um, she was uh, one of the characters I wrote, and she did a fantastic job yeah. um, of portraying like the steely schoolmistress that oh, um, mm. I wrote her as. I also think I don't know. I don't know if you know. It's I, really funny because every character I've ever played with Beth. She's always just been very light and happy and funny. Mm-hmm. And then, like, to see her character, she's talking about her character, like, I've got to be severe. <laughs> it was yeah, epic. she she messaged me before, um, probably, like, early December, uh, saying, like, oh, this this isn't the kind of character I, I normally play. And I was like, um, well, do you, do you want to play it? You know, I can always write you something else if you really don't. And she's like, no, no, I want to I wanna push my... My comfort zone. I think she did a and fantastic job at yeah, being. Yeah, we had a lot of back and forth, uh, like private messaging. Like she was asking about the character, and um, she wanted to really sort of do a good job with it. Um, so yeah, she. Yeah, my biggest regret of the weekend is I just didn't get to see that story um, yeah. because of you know her betrayal. Well, not betrayal, but like someone had framed yeah, yeah, yeah. her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there are some great shots of her chewing them out. Yeah, I, oh. I missed all of that because I was refing a, yeah. a different yeah. character at the time. I, I wish I could have just like hovered around. Like I just wanted to watch. Wall. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I didn't want to work. Yeah. I wanted to watch all of my little um, people. Like they were yeah. my, you know, the television show that I mm. binge on. I want to know what my characters are. My favorite characters are doing. It was yeah. I can, I, I can imagine actually, and again, there were so many fantastic stories that hopefully we hopefully yeah we'll pull a few out um, when we record our kind of recap. And it's fun to see. I, I suppose you can see through all the fiction that people are writing, like what people did with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why we really love reading these like epilogues and like yeah. highlights of uh, their weekend and stories. So yeah, if you're listening, please keep doing it because we love it. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're listening, and you didn't get a chance to go. You know. If there's other, it might not be a song of ice and fire, but if if there's ever another feast your eyes event, absolutely jump straight on it because it was absolutely fantastic. So, yeah, feast your eyes is like a framework for Kitty and Johnny to put on 
their own games outside of the ILARP like series, if that makes sense. Mm. So yeah, it's usually like niche ideas that others have sort of come to them ah, and sure. said, "I've okay. got this idea to do." Like things like Forlorn Hope and Redacted and mm. um, things like. Oh, that. I'm so good! I miss Redacted. Redacted looked amazing. It was immense. It was a oh. one of a kind. Um, Don't tell me that, Pascal. Bloody unfortunately, hell. a lot of the Feast Your Eyes games are just one of a kind. Yeah. yeah. I'm looking forward to trying crewing full-on hope yeah. in a couple of weeks. Sharp too. Sharp. But yeah, yeah I think... I um, less, yeah. Yeah, I'm unfortunately also at something else. Um, but is there any any closing thoughts? You want any, Anything you wanted to round off before I think we leave it off? Is there anything you wanted to say about the event or any uh, last thoughts before we close out for the episode? Um, I had a few people message me about like, what can I write about my character now? It's like, well... There might be another one, like, of that character in the future. Mm. We gave you the starting point. But for now, that character's yours. Yeah, sure. And, yeah, again, just, like, the love people have poured into it. And really, the more, like, we see coming out of it, the more I think we were absolutely justified in... in Putting the work in. Do you think you'd ever run another LARP with pre-made characters then? Yeah, the same characters. Yeah, yeah. Not, not. Oh no, a, a different setting with a. Di- <laughs> oh, fair enough. Uh, maybe, maybe. If we do yeah, another Song of Ice and Fire game, I think we would pre-write the characters again. Yeah, it's one of those ones where it does take a lot of work, but uh, the payoff definitely, um, definitely is there. But you need, like, thankfully we had a, you know, a good writing team where all four of us were very comfortable in creative writing and um and you can actually yeah. see the different styles as well of each of the writers um which was quite nice um, mm. we we're also all very comfortable in giving and receiving critical feedback mm. well that's a must yeah. yeah none of the uh the characters went out like you know i would write something and then it just gets sent out Every character uh, gets put up. We then all read it, and then we had a like a on the Excel sheet. We would tick green or yeah. feedback. I'm just gonna share um, it with you briefly. Yeah. So here we have like all of the player name and like the character details imported from the form, and we claim them. And then there's a link to the Google Doc with the the sheet, and this is how the sausage is made. <laughs> Uh, and then oh, okay. here is the the big feedback matrix, uh, and so there's options on all of these like yes, no, or feedback sent. And then yeah, listeners, uh, you can't see this, but this is through. this is a yeah. truly terrifying level of work. Yeah, when we first started, and like all of those green things were just, uh, I think they were yellow beforehand. Mm. Right. Uh, it was such a daunting task to start mm. with, but like little by little. Uh, they would just start getting ticked green, yeah, and it all just started coming together. Uh, it's so satisfying to look yeah. at now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you did a fantastic job. Loved every moment of this game. Thank you. Yeah. Any closing thoughts from you, Sean? Uh, no, like I said, this was my first time on a, a LARP writing team, and it has just been an absolute pleasure, really, to work with. Uh, such award-winning uh, writers uh, like uh, Pascal and Kitty. <laughs> uh, and obviously James as well, but I don't think he's won an award. So. <laughs> Yet. Award-winning yes. and yeah. not award-winning. 
Yeah. Uh, uh, well, let's see. let's see how it does. Well, fantastic. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us uh, today. And thank you very much for an amazing weekend. Uh, it yeah, was really, really you. good. Yeah, our pleasure. Thank uh, you thanks for, for uh, playing. making it good. Thanks for having us on, on the podcast. Yeah, no Absolute worries. pleasure. Absolute pleasure. And thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Uh, as I've kind of mentioned a couple of times, we are going to be doing a coverage of uh, our time at the event, which should be coming out soon, but I'm not going to say any dates. Um, and then... There's a few other LARPs coming up that we'll be uh, talking about soon as LARP season fully swings in. Uh, but it's good to be back, isn't it, Tom? Oh, it's lovely to be back. Uh, we've dusted off the mics. We've even got some new mic stands. Yeah, new no mic longer stands. being <laughs> held together with uh, duct tape and shoelaces. For anyone looking at the... We had a, we had a, I can't remember where we posted it. We posted a picture of... We were recording an episode and we literally had to wait the other side of the microphone stand with my boot uh because they'd broken and it was wrapped up with tape and it was like wow we need to get some more next year but yeah we've got new equipment now so we're all patreon good. money does help <laughs> yeah so thank you very much everybody uh but yes thank you very much everyone for listening and you'll uh, hear from us soon um but for now goodbye all the best thank you all right cheers thank you, thank you guys